the uh, Metamore basketball team had a chance to win the sectional title about three years ago. I'm going to move this over so I'm not standing in front of my screen so much. There we go. All right. And uh, this was a long shot uh, win because Manuel was the favored team and everybody knew it. They were the stronger team, but I was there and the game was close and I was sitting with my family members at the end of the court watching Manuel play and I was, I was observing Danny Greaves, the coach, um, barking out orders to his Metamora team. And this was the best team Metamora had offered up in years. Does anybody remember this team from three years ago? Okay, we got a couple, all right. Um, you could feel the, the, the crowd holding on to the tension that Metamora might hold out and get the win and that it was possible and it was tense. And I watched one of the referees right in the middle of all this tension run down the sideline and suddenly collide physically with Coach Greaves. And Coach Greaves went into a reverse somersault and rolled across the side of the court. And uh, he, he was knocked to the ground immediately. And the entire arena went silent for a second. And suddenly there was this gasping and there was shouting. And it looked as if the ref had intentionally knocked our coach onto the ground. But then the ref looked at him and called a technical foul. And Manuel got two shots and the ball. And when everyone was watching the video after the game, you could see that Coach Greaves was not over the line. And what the referee had apparently thought he had stepped over the line and called him for the technical for standing on the court. It was such an unfair call and such an unfair moment. It was just a terrible, terrible situation. And it is hard to say for sure if that moment changed the outcome of the game because Metamora lost. And if that moment had never happened, they may have lost anyway, right? But there was something really unfair about it. It seemed like intentional mistreatment that unsettled the emotions of the coach and of the all whole team and of a whole crowd who was on that side of the team. And, and they, the emotion was high and the difficulty or the trauma of that moment was there. And it was one of these things that was just traumatic for the community to have watched. And uh, the crazy part about this is two years later, I was in IGA parking lot buying a pork chop to support golf, and I came, <laughs> you know how it goes, I ran, I ran into Coach Greaves, and um, I, we were talking, and I brought up this moment when the ref had run into him at the game, and I thought, it's been two years, he'll probably laugh about it and make some snide comments about it, right? Um, but he did not laugh, and uh, I could see him visibly getting angry as he began to talk about it, and I realized this unfair moment that had happened to him and his team that he loved, it still carried a lot of emotion for him. So I apologized for bringing it up, of course, and we moved on. Um, but I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you can remember a time where you feel, uh, if you look back on it, it's something really unfair happened to you. Um, and it may be something as uh, something trivial, it might be something more serious. Um, as much as we'd like to look around the room and assume most people are doing pretty well here on a Sunday morning, um, a lot of us have chaos and difficulty that has come from something in our past or something that's going on right now, or maybe we have some coming that we don't even know about yet. People are dealing with all kinds of craziness. Um, you've got physical pain and illness in the room here, medical decisions that need to be made, um, maybe physical recovery that you're going through, and that can feel unfair. Um, you've maybe got loss of relationship, or um, you've got uh, strained or broken relationships, um, or you've got grief over a job loss that mattered to you, and, and uh, it's this situation that feels unfair. Um, maybe you've got the death of a loved one, marital struggles, children who are draining you, parents who are draining you, siblings who are draining you, um, embarrassment that you're trying to get past. Maybe you've got sadness, anger, depression, um, church struggles. Uh, you've got heightened emotions about something 
or you've been misunderstood or mistreated or disrespected, but you're just overwhelmed and maybe it just feels unfair. Or you have a moment like that in your past that you can think of and think, yeah, that was unfair and I've had a hard time getting past that. If you feel that your life has been thrown into some kind of uh, difficulty, chaos, uh, emotionally today by some kind of unfair situation, I want to reassure you with something. It is this. Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. And I'd love it if you'd say that phrase with me together. Could you say it out loud with me? Here we go. Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. And we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Mark and see how this is both literally and figuratively true. Um, there's a famous story in Mark 4, Verse 30, verses 35 to 41, and I am going to pick it up right at verse 35, and I'm guessing you're going to know this story, okay? It says this, That day, when evening came, he, being Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So the disciples take off with Jesus in this boat, along with some other boats, and they hit this unexpected, massive storm. And I want to kind of, just, if we can get ourselves into this situation, just some notes on the size of this boat. Uh, they, they say it might have been able to seat 16 to 20 people. It's hard to say exactly. It was just a little fishing boat that they would have used at that time in history. Um, interestingly enough, so this is kind of just an illustration, but if you see this, this is actually something that's on display over in the Middle East. Um, there's a, there, at the Sea of Galilee, there's a museum that holds this, uh, this thing in it. <laughs> what this is, this is actually the remains of a boat that was uh, dated to 40 B.C., and they say say um, that this boat was absolutely in use at the time that Jesus calmed the storm. And they say conceivably this boat could have been the boat that Jesus actually rode in across the Sea of Galilee. In fact, there's what appears to be a little carving on the inside of the wall of this boat that says, I am really scared right now, signed Simon Peter. Just kidding, that's, that's not real. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try and not take you down roads like that too often in this message. But uh, that was a joke. Okay, just to be clear, that is not real. But this is, actually, they, they don't know for sure if Jesus rode in this boat. But they're saying it was a boat that was absolutely in use at the time that Jesus um, calmed the storm. And um, this is really, I found this fascinating, by the way. Um, but the Sea of Galilee itself is not an enormous uh, sea. It's only about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. So it's this good-sized body of water, but it's not huge. And um, it's also not actually a sea, which implies salt water. It's actually a, f a freshwater lake that does not have access to the ocean. Um, if you pan out over here to the map, you, this is the Mediterranean Sea, kind of bumping up against it. And if you were to pan out, the Mediterranean Sea would be over here really big. Um, so this is just, uh, this is kind of where we're talking about this whole story going down, okay? The lake's over 600 feet below sea level, all right? And it's surrounded by mountains that rise from up to 3,000 feet tall, so it's sort of in this bowl, okay? And scientists say that the Sea of Galilee is different than all other bodies of water in the world. And one thing that makes it unique is the fact that this lake is subject to some oddly severe weather. 
the wind comes down off of the Golan Heights and it turns the lake into this churning, boiling cauldron. And it's pretty much routine uh, during the summer for almost daily to have this kind of a storm moment happen. So it can be treacherous um, if you're on a boat on the lake at the wrong time. Now, I want you to kind of get back to the place that we're talking about 2,000 years ago. There's no motors, there's no, I mean, there's not the conveniences of today, right? So if it's winter time, which is when this story happened. It's even worse because winter winds that come from the north hit the warm air and that naturally sit in the bowl and, and it creates this major weather event because the cold hits the warm. And there's this, there are records, um, weather records, of waves being so high that they were coming 200 yards into, that's two football fields, into the city of Tiberias, which sits on the lake, um, all because of high winds. And it's not only boats that are in danger at this point, they actually say that if you park your car on the western shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see signs that warn drivers of what happens during high winds because the sea can get so rough so quickly, the waves can actually swamp cars that are parked along what looks like a safe beach. So it's kind of interesting. Um, so you gotta imagine Jesus in verse 35 saying to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, some of these guys were experienced fishermen, so they probably immediately thought to themselves, you know, we got potential weather changes here, Jesus, but, you know, Jesus wants us to do this, so I guess we're going to get in the boat and go, is uh, kind of what I picture happening. And the passage does not indicate here that there was any debate about it, but uh, you've got to imagine, experienced fishermen had to be wondering uh, what he was thinking, because eight miles across, with no motor, it's, you're kind of taking on something at that point, right? Uh, the verse says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So they took him along just as he was, no preparations, no gathering of supplies or anything like that. They just, they just went. So they take off, start making their way across the lake. And verse 37 says the phrase, a furious squall came up. A squall is like a mini hurricane, okay? We're talking about potentially up to 70 mile an hour winds, and which would be very scary if you're out on a little boat in the center of this eight mile wide lake, right? If you uh, read the same story in Matthew, by the way, in Matthew 8, 24, um, you read it from Matthew's perspective. He describes the term uh, as seismos megas, if you go back to the original language. Seismos is where we get the word seismic when we talk about earthquakes, right? And it can also just mean of enormous proportions. So the storm was massive, and I get the idea they often got storms like this, of these wind and waves on the lake, but this one was particularly bad. So, They've got this, this uh, scary storm to deal with, but it was also dark. And the reason we can know this from the story is it says in Matthew 8.16, it says it was evening right before they got into the boat. And Mark 4.35 says, when evening came. So just picture it. You're in the boat. It's getting darker and darker. And you're out in the middle of the lake. And all of a sudden, possibly the worst storm you've seen in years comes up. And the moon beh is behind the clouds, so all of a sudden it's darker. And the wind is whipping. And the passage says the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And that line right there makes it pretty clear they were in a dire situation. They were in trouble. Things were not just sort of bad with these guys. Um, and they weren't being overly cautious about wondering where they were going. They were understandably starting to freak out. Okay, That's where they were at. The very next thing we read... In verse 38 is, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. So Jesus is out cold. And I don't know what was going on there. Maybe he was just tired, okay? Maybe he'd, been, he'd done his day's work for several days in a row, and he just needed a break. 
Um, he needed to get a nap. You know, I, we've all been there, right? You're just so wiped out. You're just, I need to sleep. Somebody let me sleep. And uh, maybe that's where he was at. Um, my, uh, my son was just home from uh, uh, Miracle Camp, which is a camp up in Michigan, summer camp. And he's a counselor up there this summer. We, we ran into him. Uh, we were with him up at his college visit two days ago. And um, he, every few minutes, he'd say, I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. I just need to take a nap. <laughs> and it was clear to me that he had, he, had, he had been up late with kids and up early with kids, and he was just tired. So we were like, go take a nap. You're going to be okay. Um, but you guys have been there, right? We know this whole thing of I just need to get to bed. Um, maybe that's why Jesus told him to take the boat across the lake. He's like, well, eight miles, it'll keep these guys busy, and I can take a nap at the bottom of the boat, right? Um, I love the nature. One of the cool things about this moment is that... Um, we get to see the nature of Jesus' humanness. He is God in the flesh, right? He is man. And he needed sleep. He's the God of the universe incarnate, about to display his power in such a profound way that he's going to stop the weather from happening, right? But here's this, here's this moment that he's so physically tired, he falls asleep in the boat and doesn't even wake up when things get as bad as they're getting with the storm. It is a remarkable account where you're juxtaposing the frailty of man with the power of God in the person of Jesus. It's a, pr- it's a pretty cool moment if you think about it. So now I've been making you say, um, I'm going to make you say this phrase again, Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. So let's say it again out loud. Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. Disciples had Jesus right there, but they assumed that he must be oblivious to the danger that they're in. They actually determined that Jesus must not care about them. The chaos that they're experiencing drives this emotional uh, mindset toward this untrue mental conclusion. The passage says, The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care, Jesus? It's a, it's a fair question, you guys. Jesus was physically present with them and not responding in the crisis, Right? Um, Have you felt like this, where you're in crisis and you're crying out to God and you're you're asking Jesus to do something and he just doesn't step in and change anything? And so you start to conclude, well, maybe he's either not here or he does not care. Um, It is a human thing that can happen to anybody. Um, If you're with someone who you believe can take away your pain, but the person doesn't seem to want to take away your pain or do anything about it, it is not hard to draw that conclusion that the person doesn't care. And that's what the disciples were doing with Jesus. You can see my pain. You can see my fear, you can see my anxiety, you can see the danger that's pressing in on me. Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care? But just like the disciples, we've got to remember Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. Yes, I am going to make you say it again. Here we go. Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. He was there, he was present, and he remained powerful even though the disciples had momentarily forgotten his power. So, whatever we've been dealing with from the past that's got a grip on our emotions, whatever chaos any of us are in the middle of right now, whatever crisis is arising in your life um, or does arise this week or next week or next month or this year, Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. My daughters, Evie and Olivia, uh, share a bedroom. Here they are. I made them take this picture like either last night or this morning, I can't remember. But um, I was like, I looked for, I went through like 1,500 photos looking for, looking for a picture of the two of them, and I thought, why don't I just take one? So then that's how that went. So uh, they, uh, these two actually, um, they share a bedroom, 
And uh, they're the only two siblings in our home that share a bedroom. We have six kids. We're crazy like that. And everybody's got their own bedroom except for these two. They have to share one. And they've got the biggest bedroom, but they share it. Um, they actually share a bed like Little House on the Prairie, if you know what that is. Um, <laughs> anybody ever see Little House on the Prairie? Tell me there's some people here who know. Okay, thank you. Very good. It's like I'm not completely, I know I'm re referencing the 70s, and so it's like I just totally dated everything that I'm saying. But all right. They share this bed, and don't worry, it's very comfortable. They're not deprived, trust me. And uh, Olivia is very good at cleaning the room. Um, if you give Olivia, who's here on the right, um, she, if you give her the task of cleaning the room, she'll get it done, and she can get it done quickly, and she'll do a good job at it. And it's not just shove things under beds and, you know, off to the side. It's actually clean. Um, Evie, on the other hand, who's this side right here, is really good at destroying the room. And uh, she can get a thousand toys out simultaneously while building a fort and disassembling Legos. And, you know, just it, it, every week it is a mess that she has made. And um, we tell our kids very often, clean your room, clean your room. And we know that everyone is responsible for their own mess, right? Except Olivia has this problem because everybody else has their own room to clean, but Olivia's got the problem of her room with her sister to clean, okay? And it's super likely that Evie has messed up the whole room, and that is going to keep Olivia from doing whatever she's doing because she's got to be involved in the cleaning, and this is a whole unfair situation, okay? It is pretty unfair as we sit back and look at it. Um, my wife and I caught on to the unfairness of this situation um, shortly after they started rooming together. So we worked what, toward what we thought, anyway, was an equitable solution where Evie takes responsibility for all her stuff and Olivia takes responsibility for all her stuff. And then they have to have the argument about who's responsible for that thing, right? Um, but this sort of works, okay? It sort of works. Um, every week when we hand out the chores, Olivia sort of gets frustrated and goes into a minor conniption fit where she basically asks, she doesn't use these words, but she's, she's asking, don't you care, mom and dad, that I have to deal with this? Don't you care that there is chaos in my room and it's not my fault, but I'm the one who's feeling all the consequences? And um, when she comes to me with that kind of attitude, she's implying that I really don't care. And I do care. I love her. And uh, it's like, nothing's going to change that. I, I don't want her to be mistreated. I, I don't want her to have any anxiety. But the situation she's in has the potential to make her feel alone, make her feel powerless to do anything about it. And like, oh, well, it's going to happen again next week, right? So she jumps to the conclusion that I don't care, which could not be further from the truth. As her parent, I have the power to do something about Olivia's frustrating situation. But what I'm doing about it is I am teaching her younger sister, Evie, responsibility to clean up her stuff. And it is not going to be done nearly as quickly or consistently as Olivia would like it to be done. And so I, as the father of these two children, have a purpose and plan for their lives, and they don't always like it, okay? But I'm walking it out. And when it seems unfair, or maybe it really even is unfair, there is a temptation for Olivia to conclude that I don't care, but I do care. I love her. She's my child. And I think every one of us has this, this, the potential in the moment to find ourselves doubting and, and asking the question, Jesus, don't you care about me? You, you see the situation. I've prayed about it like 50 times, okay? But don't you care about what I'm going through? I'm in pain right now. Pain causes us to want to lash out. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it is hard not to turn the accusing tone toward God when he's not solving your situation. But the fact remains, God loves us like crazy. He is our Father. He cares about us. We are His children. No difficult circumstance is going to change that. John 15, 9 is Jesus talking when He says this phrase, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide 
in my love. He's saying, I love you as much as my heavenly Father loves me. That's a lot of love. Abide in my love. That means live in that love. Hold on to it. Believe it's real. It's not going anywhere, even when life is really, really tough. My love for you is unchanging. I care about you. Abide in my love. The same way my love for my daughter does not change, even if she's wondering if I really care. God's love and concern toward each one of us does not change, even if we find ourselves doubting if he cares. So I want you to go back to this thought of Jesus sleeping in the boat. And you know what this tells us? The things that stress us out don't stress God out. And the circumstances that we're facing uh, that might feel scary or out of control, they don't scare God, and they're not out of God's control. And he can stay calm right through any kind of storm, even if it looks big to us, because he's all-powerful, and nothing's going to phase him. Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. Will you say it with me again? Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. His power is stronger than any circumstance. Verse 39 shows us his power. It says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, it was completely calm. He handled the situation. The wind died down and it was completely calm. Mark says it became completely calm. The word he actually uses for completely is this word megali. And mega, meaning something great or big, way huge, megali is the greatest of calms. Okay, the whole lake was placid and, and it just stopped. The wind stopped immediately and the waves flattened out. Um, this wouldn't have happened if just sort of the storm went away. It would have swapped around for a while, right? But it says the waves went still. Um, they, they, they normally would bounce back, go to the shore and make all these ripples, right? This would go on for quite a long time after the wind had stopped. But he stopped the winds and it says it was completely calm. And he just did this by speaking. Can you imagine what it means to stop the wind. I mean, it's possible that in this moment that Steve, that uh, I just said Steve, I meant Jesus. <laughs> Hi, Steve. <laughs> that uh, I looked at Steve and said, Steve, wow, that was really weird. Uh, <laughs> but in this moment where um, Jesus stopped the wind, try to imagine um, what this meant. It could have meant that the jet stream around the world was altered by the words of Jesus in that moment. The supernatural power of Jesus is so huge that with a word, the wind force has just stopped. And he stopped millions and gallons of water from doing this to just go flat. The disciples discovered in that moment that no matter how big a storm they were in, they could put their faith in Jesus and he'd come through. Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. He is here with us now. And he's got the power to address any difficulty that we're facing. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficulties. Um, the disciples endured this great storm and got really close to capsizing, right? They may have been wondering why Jesus let it go on this long. Um, didn't he know what he was getting them into when he asked them to get in the boat? I think one of the interesting things about this whole story is that if you go back to verse 35, the whole boat ride was Jesus' idea to begin with. He wanted to get them from one side of the lake to the other to take them on a journey. And I have no idea if he knew the storm was coming, maybe he did. I mean, he was God incarnate, right? But maybe he was limiting himself and didn't actually like look into the future to find out what was going to happen. But regardless of whether he knew uh, what he was getting them all into, Jesus knew that he'd be there with his friends. And he'd be, them, he'd, he'd be with them when the storm came. And if the storm came, he had the power to handle it. So has Jesus called you into some kind of life journey that's turning out to be harder than you thought it would be? Um, it's Claire, right? Came up here and got prayed for just a minute ago. Um, Jesus is calling Claire into a journey 
And um, I guarantee you, Claire, it's going to be harder than you think it's going to be. <laughs> and I'm not trying to put anything negative on you. It's just int- it will be. Um, I've lived some of that story myself. I've tried to be obedient when Jesus has called me um, to take specific journeys with him. And every one of them has been harder than I wanted it to be. Um, stepping out in my role as a pastor was, uh, was a difficult decision and a journey that I agreed to go on with him. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've personally hit some pretty major storms while I've been on this journey. Um, I felt like Jesus was saying to me, hey, let's go over to the other side and go on this journey. It's time for us to leave the shore and go to a new place. And uh, I said yes, and I got in the boat. And then as we made our way, all of a sudden there were some really hard days, hard weeks, hard months, and dare I even say hard years of ministry life. And sometimes it's felt like Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat to me. And I don't, I don't know if I ever asked, you know, do you even care, Jesus? I don't think I asked that question. I don't know. I just tend to think he cares even when things feel bad. But I would say where I miss the mark uh, sometimes is actually forgetting he's in the boat. And uh, Jesus being present and powerful in the midst of our chaos, is, he has to remember he's there to begin with, and that's something that I can forget. Um, Jesus is present. Jesus was actually there with his disciples in the boat during, the, during that storm. He was there. He's been with me when I've been going through those f- storms of difficulty. And he's been with you as you've had storms of difficulty in relational messes or in unfairness that has happened to you, mistreatment that you've suffered, um, shame that you've felt. He's there. He's there. He's in the boat with you. I know there's got to be at least a few of you guys here who can relate with me on this concept of forgetting that Jesus is present, um, but he is present and he is powerful in the midst of our chaos. And we've got to put our faith in Jesus to carry us through these storms. If you jump ahead in Mark uh, to chapter 6, verse 45 to 51, um, you find another incident on the lake, and uh, it's the story of Jesus walking on water. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. Um, so this is kind of interesting. That This is like you had this whole stop the storm moment, and then you got this other moment where he sends his disciples ahead of him in a boat, and he goes off and spends some time in prayer. And then in the night, he decides to catch up with them when they're out in the middle of the lake. And so he comes walking across the water to where they were. He totally freaks them out. And uh, they'd been straining against the wind as they rode the boat. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets in the boat with them. And the wind stops again. It's this whole calming presence. So they got to see his power over the weather again and his picture of peace and calm happening as he got in the boat. But they're in his presence, and calm comes. It's kind of an interesting connection, right? Jesus saw his friends straining and struggling, and he came to them. And the words he said are words that we all need to hear. He said this, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. That phrase, don't be afraid, it's all throughout Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. More than 100 times in the Bible, we hear things like, Be not afraid, don't be afraid, fear not, do not fear. Um, In the New Testament, it appears in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and in the book of Revelation. Jesus is the one who says, Be brave, don't fear, I am here, I am with you. And he's saying that to us today, I believe that. Take courage. I am here. I am with you. I have incredible power. And especially if you're in this place of obedience, you've gotten in the boat with Jesus, you're where you're supposed to be. And he is with you and you have nothing to fear. He's with you. Psalm 23 is one of the most famous psalms ever, right? And he says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for why? You are with me. You are with me. There's something about Jesus' presence that brings us calm. So we put our faith in Jesus to carry us through these storms. He's with us, right? He has the power to address our issues. I'm hoping today that all of us can walk out of here with this desire to put our trust in Jesus as we face those difficult times and put our trust in his presence and his power. Because even if you're someone in the room today who's not going through any kind of pain or difficulty, 
you know it's coming. You know that pain and difficulty is coming at some point. And I'm not, again, trying to speak any kind of negativity over this group. Jesus said we're, he wants us to have life in abundance. And I believe when he said it, he meant it. It's just that our natural conclusions about abundant life might look a little different than what his do. So if I can live my life with an ongoing awareness that Jesus is present no matter what my circumstances are, it's going to change my attitude, it's going to change the way I see life, and it's going to give me a peace and a calm to be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's going to give me hope when it seems like things are hopeless. And if I can trust Jesus to exercise his power where he sees fit to do it, if I keep going on that journey that he asked me to go on and know he's with me, I'm going to be able to walk it. So, Are you traveling in the boat this morning with Jesus and trusting he's going to exercise the power at the right time? He wants you to trust him. I believe that. When he calmed the wind and the waves, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's going, come on, guys. Enough with the fear. I am here with you. I can do things that nobody else can do. They woke Jesus up. They asked, don't you care that we're in in danger, Jesus? What do you think they were? um, I, I wonder what they were expecting him to do. Um, they, had, they had seen him heal people. They had seen him do some pretty miraculous stuff, but they had no idea he could stop the wind from blowing and the waves from turning. So were they hoping that he was going to, you know, just shout some encouraging words out to them or pray to the Father on their behalf and then they'd sort of hope things calmed down? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what their expectation was, was, but his pointed display of power is not what they expected because their reaction, look at it. It says they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? He was revealing that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And this, is, this story isn't uh, just about danger and rescue. Um, if you think of Jonah in the Old Testament, everybody know the story of Jonah from when you were a kid and the whole whale, you know, he runs away from God. And uh, it, he was sailing away in the wrong direction and a huge storm broke out. It was only calmed down when the sailors threw Jonah overboard. So think of the calm that came through that obedience. And then think of the Egyptian army chasing the Israelites to kill them as they reached the Red Sea, as they were escaping Egypt. Do you remember this story? Moses was leading them, right? And the water became a barrier and certain death unless that God could step in and God parted the Red Sea. He did something miraculous. And think about creation at the beginning of time when God formed the earth out of the dark waters. All of a sudden, out of chaos, there came creation. Other than the fishermen, most Jewish people were not sailors or seafaring people in general. The sea had come to symbolize this group of people, the dark power of evil, threatening to destroy God's good creation, God's people, and God's purposes. If you go back and read books like Daniel, this is where sea monsters come from, out of the, out of the depths. And so the, the water itself had this image of evil for the uh, Jewish people. So when Jesus rescued the disciples from the storm, I'm telling you this because Jesus rescued them from the storm, we're witnessing something that says God's power is being unleashed against the dark forces of this world. It's not the kingdom that people were looking for, but it's the real thing. And that same power that created the world in the first place was living in Jesus and acting through him. Jesus is assuming the role of God's agent in defeating the forces of darkness and chaos. Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. Will you say it one more time with me? Jesus is present and powerful in the midst of our chaos. So the forces of evil are stirred up, they're angry, they're threatening, but Jesus is so confident of God's presence and power that he can fall asleep on a pillow. The disciples weren't happy about that, but, and they thought maybe he didn't care. But Jesus reverses the question on them. He says, don't you have faith yet? 
If we sign up to walk out this life with Jesus and advance the kingdom of God in this world, his story is gonna become our story, whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not. Wind and storms are gonna come our way, and then we can cry out to Jesus from fear, or we can go from a place of anger, or we can trust that he's actually there and ready to respond to us. If we, try out, if we cry out from fear and anger, we need to not be surprised when he says, don't you have faith? Don't you have faith? And I want to just finish up here with saying, what does that look like to have faith um, in the storm? I think first thing is, it looks like not freaking out when things are unfair um, and when things get tough. It looks like not going into self-focused pity when things are difficult. I am really not trying to be insensitive to anybody here, by the way, on that, because um, I'm just as prone as anybody to let my emotions sort of determine my reactions in hard situations. Um, but I am learning in my life that spiritual maturity is a whole lot about not letting emotional struggles undermine my trust in Jesus. And I just go back to that Metamore basketball team, right? It was just a game, guys, but it was a moment that mattered to that team and to that coach. That unfair moment is going to remain something that happened to that team and that coach for the rest of their lives. And the truth is that Jesus was with them when that happened. And he cares that it was hard on them. If that team and that coach could start to believe that Jesus was present and powerful in a chaotic moment for them, the emotions about that unfair moment will begin to lessen and subside. And they'll be able to put it in perspective and find joy again. It's okay to be hurt, but trust Jesus when you're hurting. He feels you're hurt too and he cares about you. It's okay to feel grief. It's okay to feel loss. But trust Jesus in that grief and loss. He feels your grief and loss too. He's got compassion toward you. It's when our trust in Jesus goes out the window that he looks at us and says, don't, still, you still don't have faith? I'm right here. And by the way, um, I really don't think he asked that of his disciples in a disgusted tone. Uh, so please don't read it that way. I think he reached his hand out and he put his hand on the neck of one of his disciples and through a smile, he looked that disciple in the eye and he said, do you still have no faith? I mean, because this is who I am. I love you. I want to have faith. I want Jesus when things are going rough, rough and I want to trust him. I long for this group to walk out of here trusting him, knowing we can trust him in the tough stuff, that he's present and powerful. Um, I'd like for us to pray together here at the end and uh, then we're going to sing and uh, we're going to sing great is thy faithfulness as our closing hymn in just a couple of seconds here and um, when we sing great is thy faithfulness we're declaring uh, that God is going to be present with us regardless of our circumstances so it's very fitting actually for this message um, as we declare that he is here that he is with us great is thy faithfulness O God our father um, so as we sing that together, let's just get our minds right and say we are declaring that we are acknowledging the presence of the living God and that he has not left us alone. He has not abandoned us. He is with us even in the tough stuff. So um, why don't we stand together? I'll pray, and then uh, we're going to be led in this hymn. Lord Jesus, um, I pray now that uh, if there's anybody here who's going through um, circumstances that have got them... Uh, emotionally amped up, we'll say that. Um, Lord, I pray that an awareness of your presence would begin to overtake their hearts. Um, Lord, if there's any of us here who are suffering from something that happened a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, something that happened that we felt was unfair or hurt us or where we felt mistreated, misunderstood, and that it, we know that certain things happen in our lives that trigger us emotionally, I pray, Father, that you would begin to give us an awareness of the fact that you were present in that terrible and difficult dark time. 
and that that awareness of your presence there would help us to lessen the emotion of that when we are reminded of it now and that we begin to walk in a place of healing and joy. And Lord, in the future, as we walk out our next weeks and months, as stuff pops up in our lives, that become difficult because we know it's gonna happen, Lord. I pray that you would give us the ability to hang on to you and know that you're present so that we don't cry out in fear, but we trust because you're with us. And uh, Lord, we need your help to be able to do that. We're incapable of, uh, of doing that our own, on our own. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to well up with inside us and remind us of your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.